Hello, you're listening to Systematic on 5x5. This week we're joined by Mike Rose from Tua and uh, Creative Director at MJM Creative Services in New York. Hi, Mike. Hey, Brett. How you doing? Great. You're my second mic in a row. <laughs> you're, you're, you're just keeping it, keeping it with the mics. Yeah. I like this plan. So you come from a background in uh, print publishing, working IT and operations, Entertainment Weekly, and Life Magazine. Is that right? That's right. That that was a. It was a little bit back in the past now, but that was from about 1991, 92 through about 2000. I was a, I was a print publishing IT guy, which was a an interesting time to be part of that industry. It still it still had some glamour at the time. <laughs> sure. Um, and since then, uh, since about 2006, you've been editing for Tua, one of the intrepid uh, editors and and actually a copy editor. They kind of call everyone at Tua an editor, everyone who uh, posts regularly, don't they? Um, I, I, we, we have some vague titles. I mean, nobody's a rocket scientist or brain surgeon, but, but editing, the title of editor sort of gets passed around. I, I actually have been what we used to call a lead for the site since um 2008 okay um yeah as a former writer at Tua, actually current writer who doesn't write very often <laughs> um i can say that you are by far the uh the best person to have edit a post in my opinion uh because you are just amazingly sharp with everything from grammar to commas and it's amazing well thank you very much i appreciate it appreciate the feedback <laughs> always good feedback is always great well you know people some people some people don't appreciate you know being edited um i i found over the years that there but you know some people don't take well to it and also i've i've learned and grown in the role and i i make probably fewer mistakes now or fewer stupid mistakes uh, i still find myself having to occasionally uh apologize for having screwed something up that was perfectly okay before i put my grubby paws on it i do recall uh, i do recall you doing that to my very first post on tua ever <laughs> I don't See, remember what happened, but I remember a, a small lynch mob and you saying, oh, man, I'm sorry. Oh, that was me. I apologize. <laughs> so feel so bad about that. All is forgiven. Thank you. Um, yeah, so uh, so you just got a new Retina MacBook Pro. I, I have uh, such a beast in my possession. Um, I'm, I'm pilot testing it for for MJM and uh, it's been a it's been a bit of an interesting journey so far and I've only had it as my primary machine now for 2 days so I'm still I'm still in the initial glow I guess. So first impressions then from the first 2 days. Well it's fast. Um it is and and keeping in mind I'm coming from a MacBook Pro um previous gen so a Thunderbolt MacBook Pro um 20 you know 2010 or 2011 uh or 2011 vintage that had been outfitted with a um, SSD and one of the other world computing uh, brackets so that the internal hard drive could stay in. So what that meant is that it was, it was an SSD-enabled machine, so it was fast, um, but it also had the hard drive. There was plenty of storage. It was heavy and ran quite hot uh, and didn't have a lot of battery life. So I, was, I had sacrificed um, some portability for the additional storage space. And then going to the retina, I, I sort of said, okay, look, I have to, I kind of have to get with the program here that I have to lean out my, my storage quite a bit. I have to figure out what I really, really need to have on this machine. Um, and it turns out that it's 
apparently it's iTunes. That's <laughs> what I really <laughs> need to. But but my iTunes folder is so huge at this point between like I think thirty gig of apps and a ridiculous amount of videos. Like okay, I got to lean this out. iPhoto too is you know it's another hundred and fifty hundred sixty gigs. So so really the process of getting down from a machine that had a terabyte of storage to a machine that has uh, about half that has been interesting. Um, and I'm still not, not all the way through it. Is but that, that, sorry, is that your only machine? No, I have a, I have a, an iMac desktop, um, okay. that has, that has a, you know, a Drobo hanging off it. So I have other places to put stuff, but, but I've gotten in the habit over the past few years since I had ample portable storage. Well, that was where my primary iPhoto library lived and that's where my primary iTunes lives. And I, and I sort of, I got lazy about it. And every time I thought, well, you know, I'd really kind of like a MacBook Air. Oh, yeah, but, oh, I can't possibly. There's no way I can get myself down into 128 gig or 256 gig. And here I am, you know, with 512 gig going, oh, I, yeah, this is impossible. <laughs> uh, and realized today, actually, I didn't transfer over my uh, my TUAW primary folder. Like I had, I had sitting on, I had it aliased off my desktop to that, ex, to that second drive. So now I have to go back and get it. And is that a just, big, big folder? Uh, you know, it's, it's a couple gig. I mean, it's not, it's, it's got some, some videos in there, but it's okay. basically, I had, what I had done when I set up the, the two drive config on the old machine is I had, I had aliased a bunch of stuff to the external drive that I didn't feel that I needed to have on the SSD. And, and now I'm now sort of reintegrating that, uh, a bit piecemeal. So I've got, you know, now, now I'm in that bad, bad place where you've got three backups, you don't know what's current and you have to sort of, you know, be juggling multiple drives and I don't like it. I don't like it. And I, and I'm also, I'm a firewire guy. And of course this new machine doesn't have firewire. So I'm, I'm learning all about USB three and I'm, uh, I'm actually conveniently enough testing a, uh, Thunderbolt, uh, ESATA bridge right now, which is wicked fast. I was going to ask you about that. It's, it's wicked fast. I, I, I haven't, I haven't written it up yet, but it's, uh, I was testing it with a, a G raid two terabyte, um, external drive and that that drive will do about you know 50 50 meg a second writes 50 megabit a second writes and and 70 meg, megabit a megabit or megabyte second uh per second reads um and i'm getting about four times that about 200 uh on esata through the through, through the lc so wow. it's it's substantial um it's definitely making a difference so you uh, work with a lot of uh, a lot of media though yeah i do and i i end up um, for my day job, I end up dealing with a lot of video, um, but really on an ad hoc basis. I'm not necessarily editing it. I'm I'm more trafficking it, and and giving up FireWire. It's really going to be interesting to see over the next few weeks whether it really impacts me or not. I mean, a, a lot of stuff can be can be handed off on USB. Being probably the only machine in the vicinity with a USB three port means that I I'm going to have to be thinking sort of strategically about how I'm going to transfer files. The good news is I have, you know, one of the external drives I have is another LaCie. It's a rugged uh, rugged drive with triple interface. So it's a drive that's got FireWire 800. It's got uh, USB 3. And um, I think it's FireWire 400 as well. So I, c- I will be able to use that as sort of a middleman drive sure. to get stuff on and off. Of course, right at, at the moment, that drive has, you know, my 160 gig <laughs> I photo folder on it, so it's a little full. Um, but I mean, there's there's always workarounds. There's always ways to do it. I think you, I've gotten into a a bit of a um, convenience habit, and and sort of this 
this idea that everything should be kind of frictionless by having a machine that was a full-powered pro machine. Sure. You know, I haven't really said anything about the red machine per se yet, <laughs> but it is a very powerful machine, but it's got some limitations. Um, uh, yeah. Um, so I heard there's a pretty good display on that thing. Yeah, you know, people talk about it a little bit. It is, um, it is breathtaking. It is a breathtaking display, and and it is good enough that you know you have the problem that people have described, which is that you work on it for a while, and then you go do something else on a different machine, and it um, it looks wrong. Uh, the t- type is is pin sharp, and the difference in browser right now the the um, uh, released version of Chrome doesn't support the high DPI display, but of course Safari does. So going from one to the other, it's like, wow, this is, you know, you really see the difference. You will see the difference. Safari chews up a, a absolutely ridiculous amount of memory now. And I can't, I, you know, I had it open with, you know, maybe, a, maybe 20 tabs or so. And I watched iStat sort of creep towards the, uh, the, the red in terms of memory utilization. I was like, wow, this is, this is really not cool. Um, but it, but it is gorgeous. The the display, it, it's one of those things where it becomes clear to you, you know, probably the way it became clear when people saw the iPhone. Eventually, all computers are going to have this. Eventually, all computers are going to have a a Retina quality or a or a, a high DPI display because it's because it looks fantastic and there's there's actual utility to it. Whether this implementation and this machine is right for everyone, I'm not 100 percent sure of that. When I I saw one the day after the keynote, uh, Tim Stevens from Engadget had one, and uh, and we put Safari and Chrome up side by side, and mm-hmm. I mean even at at regular screen size, it was immediately apparent what was uh, what was optimized and what wasn't. But then I found you could zoom using the uh, accessibility zoom, yeah, and you could get up two three times. Uh, like 200 300% and safari would stay crisp yeah. and and chrome would i mean at that point you couldn't even read text in chrome well the it, best it, yeah, you, it, the best thing to test it with actually is the iCloud login screen if you have if you have a access you can do this in in the apple store i mean you can go up to one of the the retina macbook pros and go to the iCloud login screen on Safari and on Chrome or Firefox, go on another browser, and it's like the it's your one is you're looking at a picture of a little metal plate with with login windows. The other one is you're looking at the real thing. That it looks like the actual object, um, and it's I mean the first time I saw it, I was like, this can't be right. I mean, it looks so it looks so awful in Chrome now, and it looks so amazing in Safari. So I screenshotted both of them, and of course, when you screenshot. Depending on which app, screenshot application you use on the Retina machines, you get enormous screenshots. It's like, sure. like it's like when you take screenshots on a on an iPhone four, uh, sorry, an iPhone four S. Um, you you get this sort of ridiculously outsized image that's twice as large as you think it should be. It's twice as large as the on screen uh, the on screen object. So you get that with the non-aware with a non-aware screenshot application like Sketch, and of course, if you use the built the the OS's screenshot tools, it it gives it to you like it's like it's supposed to be like it's sized on screen. But um, but yeah, it's really it's really noticeable. And unfortunately, and I think we you and I have talked about this before. It's one of those things that's n- more noticeable where it's not uh, that your eye is drawn to the to the absence of detail, right? 
Yeah, it's. Uh, if, if I work, uh, as you know, behind the scenes on AOL tech blogs. And when the iPad 3 came out with the Retina display, we immediately, we had to requisition iPad 3s and begin <laughs> rebuilding certain aspects of the websites just because Apple owns enough of the browser share to make that an issue. And now that there are actual desktop, well, laptop, but as far as I'm concerned, they're desktop machines. Um, mm-hmm. And as far as iPad versus uh, computer, um, right. it, we're, 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 the web is going to have to change. All applications are going to have to update because you're right. This is, this is the way it's going to be. Apple has twice now led the vanguard as far as making us redesign things to look better. It's been a yeah. long time since that's really been an issue. <laughs> that's true. You wouldn't you wouldn't have had that problem in in 1997 if you were if you were designing for you know for well I guess the primary Mac browser would have been would have been IE at that point. But yeah. um, but I mean that, that's that's the thing that's that's really interesting to me about this machine as a as a technologist. I can look at this and say, okay, I get that. Twitter for Mac, for example, has has no Retina optimization. In fact, looks worse than almost any other application on the machine at this point. It's 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 painful to to look at that application uh, because it's of course it's all text all the time, and the text looks like it was brushed with Vaseline. <laughs> it, it's just it's it, it's really really hard to read. It gives you it gives you eye strain, especially in contrast to the other elements. But even even within Apple's applications, if you look at iCal, for example. Um, if you're subscribed to a bunch of calendars in iCal, hit that drop down for selecting which calendars you want to display. Well, that type's not Retina, oddly enough, uh, mm-hmm. because of the way because of the way it, that that particular view is programmed. And so again, you're seeing this sort of you're seeing through the abstraction, you're seeing the holes in it, and it it actually makes it a less appealing machine for general use sure it makes it a less appealing machine it, it makes it less the computer for the rest of us it's one it it means you have to be even if you're not doing it consciously you are spending mental cycles realizing over and over again oh right oh right oh yeah oh okay oh yeah that that application is not optimized oh i'm looking at a screen i'm not looking at at words or i'm not looking at pictures i'm not looking at what i'm working on i'm looking at a screen and i know that i'm looking at a screen because some stuff is crisp and other stuff isn't right and you have to mentally compensate for uh for exactly the, for the and most apps ex- and mo- and 90 percent of mac users should never be thinking about which video card is in use and they right. shouldn't be thinking about you know how what percentage of my applications are updated for retina and i mean it, it's a it's a really good thing. I mean, I think it was a smart thing that this is a pro machine and way way at the top of the at the of the of the price list because if this technology had come, I mean, on, and on the iPad and the iPhone, it's a, it's a different experience. It's a different thing. The user expectations are different. the the interfo- The interface approaches the, interf- the 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 UI and UX modalities are different, and and they can get away with the the deretinization in certain places, mostly because it's an app at a time. You're very Except when you know iPhone doing iPhone two X stuff on the iPad, you're very rarely looking at interface elements where some are crisp and some aren't. It's happened. It happens constantly on the Retina MacBook Pro. If they had brought this in on the MacBook Air first before the applications and the developers had a chance to catch up, and that again including some of Apple's applications, it would have been a nightmare because the people who are buying the MacBook Air don't want that level of 
mental friction in their computing experience. I don't sure. think anyone wants it, but I think people who are buying the MacBook Pro Retina are doing it with the knowledge that they're accepting some grit in the machinery. Right. It's uh, a willingness, not a... They're right. not re- requesting it, but they're willing to accept it. They're willing to accept it. And, and there's going to be that, that grit in there for, for a little while. It, it, it makes me... I mean, part of why I'm evaluating this machine is that there's another one sitting on the shelf that's potentially going to our CEO, to, to my boss. And I have to look at this and my experience of it and say, is this guy who doesn't have time or energy or inclination to deal with exception handling and why doesn't, you know, why exactly isn't this working the way it's supposed to? And how should, how do I have to work around this particular condition for this particular app? He doesn't, he doesn't have the time for any of that. We don't have the time to prep him for any of that. So do I want to say to him, you know what, you're really better off with a conventional MacBook Pro until, you know, six months from now, because as fast and as sexy and as cool as this is, it also comes with, um, not just technical trade-offs, not just, you know, I can't plug in a FireWire cable or, you know, I have to give up a Thunderbolt port or a USB port for Ethernet. Not you know, that stuff. But you're going to be grinding your gears a little bit mentally every minute that you're using this machine. And your gears are already probably pretty worn. Do you want that? Okay. Um, so is there a market then for a third-party attachment that deretinizes a Gaussian <laughs> a Gaussian screen for your screen. Wow. That would be <laughs> that is perversely awesome. Um and and I'm sure we'll be showing up on Kickstarter not long after this uh this <laughs> I, in the CEO market for people that <laughs> that want the latest and greatest but don't have the uh the time to make the mental transition. Well, it would have to be very selective. Um, I mean, and you can actually you can fake that to a certain degree by 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 bumping up the the um, or actually bumping down the dip to pixel ratio, the the display the display elements, the the four the two by two matrix of right. actual screen pixels that make up each each dip of each little block of the interface. As far as as far as the OS is telling non-retina-aware apps, that's a 1440 by 900 screen. Retina-aware apps know about the extra pixels, but the OS is not exposing them. They're not, they're not natively exposed, or they, I mean, or they are, but they're exposed as though they were twice the, twice the size, which is why Skitch, for example, takes a screenshot that's, that's not scaled right. Um, and you can, you, can, you can take the screen resolution higher basically giving yourself more real estate at the expense of that nice retina smoothness. So you could, you do that, but then you need really, really big magnification glasses. Um, I, I like your idea of the, you know, the, the, the piece of, uh, cellophane smeared with chapstick, you know, that we put in front of the screen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's easier than putting Vaseline directly on your screen (laughs) and more sanitary. (laughs) Right. And, and, and it's probably in the end cheaper to clean up. Um, I I think you're right. I think we're onto something. (laughs) trademark um i'm gonna take a break so we can hear from our first sponsor and we'll be right back today's episode is brought to you in part by docusign you can sign documents anywhere on any device you want with docusign you can send sign and save legally binding documents from your iphone ipad laptop or any device you have from just about anywhere in the world 
It's used by banks and law firms, and DocuSign provides a complete audit trail and powerful encryption, making it a perfect solution for users in any situation that requires a signature. All right. Well, welcome back. We're talking with Mike Rose. And um, Mike, you have uh, what I would consider a very sharp wit. Why, thank you. You're welcome. Um, Just cut myself on it. (laughs) Uh, As an example, on Twitter, when there is a contest to come up with the funniest band names, you always have the first and most (laughs) poignant answers. And I, I know, and I've never seen you do it, but I know you do improv in New York. That's right. And uh, and I want to talk to you about how you think improv either affects your wit and and your uh, your speed with these with uh, witty responses or how it works in reverse. If you think that your your wit is what drives the improv, do you see a, a correlation there, one way or the other? Um, you know, honestly, I hadn't I hadn't thought about it in that way, but I I do think that the that if it were not for Twitter, I would be much more annoying to my family. Um, I think, I think that for, for me and a lot of people who, who consider themselves sort of smart alecky and, and we like to, we like to crack wise, um, having an outlet, having, having a thing like Twitter is, is a a gift because we don't, you know, if, if we were so obnoxious and snarky in our real lives or in our our meat lives all the time we would we'd be insufferable and i think that that's in in some ways that's what drives people to to stand up comedy and improvisation is that there's that that insufferable part of their personality that just craves that that uh that attention and validation for for the record um if you ask my wife she will tell you that 90% 95% of all stand up comedians not so much for for improv, improvisers but all 95% of stand up comics are you know emotionally damaged people, and um, and I I mean I don't think of myself as an emotionally damaged person. She says I'm I'm really not. I'm she says I am I am the exception to that 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 I'm that I'm actually very very much self possessed when it comes to that that sort of thing. But I do think there's that part of me that that just want wants to you wants to show off being funny. You know wants to be wants to be recognized for be for having thought of that thing that everybody will say, oh, of course. Yeah. Um, and for the record also, I can't take credit for the, um, for the band names, uh, trope because that, that is Paul and storm. That is those guys do that in their, in their live show. They're awesome. Uh, but they always say, you know, X is my, is my cover band of Y is their, <laughs> is their joke form. There's no clone. Um, and so I, you know, I just, I do it cause I think it's hilarious, but I have to give them credit for it. It is hilarious. Um, so yeah, that, that's interesting because I was going to ask you about how, uh, how doing improv and slash being a smart aleck <laughs> affects your social skills. I like, let me, I'll, 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 uh, introduce that by saying I am horrible with social skills. I'm a bit of a smart aleck on Twitter. I have a sarcastic sense of humor that doesn't carry well in plain text. So I, I'm not... It's not very funny on Twitter, but in truth, it's even less funny in real life because I say things that that are sharp edged and meant to be funny, but they come out too quickly and and with too much of a straight face. And people often take offense at what I say. So I see I never see that in you, though. You you come across as a very jovial, very um, 
easy to get along with person, despite this rather sarcastic wit that you have. So I'm wondering <laughs> if, if, if stage performance, live performance, things like that, do they train you to, to think for that split second before you say something? Or is that just a natural tendency you have? You know, that's a, it, that's a really interesting psychological question. I think that, you know, you, 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 touched on something maybe tangentially that's true of a lot of people in technology, which is that we, we think of ourselves and whether it's legitimately true or not, we think of ourselves as people with poor social skills or who would rather be spending time with on some level, be rather be spending time with computers than people um, or, or with unfamiliar people. I think that's probably even more the case that, that strangers or, or sort of large scale social situations of meeting a lot of people make us uncomfortable. Um, I, you know, I have those little, tiny, you know, Aspie, Asperger's touches of, you know, not knowing how to end a conversation, <laughs> like, like walking away from people in the middle of a conversation. I've been working on that for years because it took me a long time to realize I was doing it. I, I've done it. You know, I did that since, you know, since high school. Like either I would say something that would inadvertently end the conversation, not knowing why. Or I would, you know, I would like walk away from someone while they were still talking to me, and I and I, I couldn't figure out for the longest time what what was going on. Um, once I got a, a bit of a handle on it, I was like, and I and I sort of remind myself periodically, okay, you know, are we done? Are we, you know, ch- is this is this over? Is this finished? The 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 nice thing about well, and I'll I'll look at the two different sides of my performing experience. I did stand up comedy for for about eight years. Um, while I was doing improv and I mostly stopped, I've basically entirely stopped doing stand-up um, about six or seven years ago and, I, and I've done improv on and off since then. With stand-up, the con- it's not a conversation. You know, right. it's, it's, I mean, it is, it's an interaction and it can be a conversation, but it is, it's essentially a monologue form. And so the conversation's over when I say it's over. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm controlling the beats, I'm controlling the, the tempo and it's not, incumbent upon me to to be to be listening for those kinds of conversational cues i have to be paying i have to be in the room and paying attention to the audience but they're not talking most of the time they're not talking to me sometimes they're yelling um but it's a different it's a different kind of interaction it doesn't seem as hard improv is also it's also good for that it's good it's good conversational therapy because of the rules and the the expectations for good improvisation. One of the things that you do you learn your first day as an improviser is you don't deny. You know, you don't you don't you don't say no to an offer. You don't deny something, an assertion that your your scene partner has made. So if your scene partner comes in and points at your shirt and says, Wow, great Hawaiian shirt, Bob, the the one thing you may not do is say, This? You know, I say, I'm not wearing a shirt or, you know, you know, this isn't Hawaiian. It's, uh, it's, you know, I bought it off the rack at, at Macy's. You can't block that offer. Now you could say, if you were, if you were an, an expert level improviser, you could say, that's not a Hawaiian shirt. I tattooed flowers all over my skin. Okay. So there you go. You've, you've, you've accepted the reality that your, that your partner has created. You've transformed it. You've, you've said, well, you're wrong, but in your perception, you were right. You, you, what you saw, you actually saw. But you can't make them a liar. You can't make someone else in the scene a liar, psychotic, drunk, or high in the first three seconds because then you have nothing, nowhere to go. 
right? You have to accept reality as you find it in that conversation. So that's great. Um, that's, that's very liberating in a way. Um, you, you have to interact. You can't deny it. You have to accept these offers. And of course, in real conversation, this is, this is true as well. I mean, we, we accept the, we accept the premise or we accept the reality of what our, what, what the person we're talking to has offered, but maybe we don't, you know, maybe we don't know when we're done talking or maybe we don't know whether they're going to find something funny or whether they're going to find, whether they're going to accept our opinions or our take on reality. Oh, you know, so-and-so is a giant pain in the ass. What? I don't think so at all. You know, they, I, I find them very easy to work with. Um, that's a conversation that could happen in real life, but that can't happen in an improv scene. If I say so and so is such a pain in the ass, you have to agree. <laughs> you you can't you can't take it and walk away with it. You have to say yeah, and you know, and his wife too. I mean, she just you know she <laughs> rides him right. So that that just that underlying premise is really interesting, and I think one of the reasons that a lot of that there's a lot of overlap between uh, improv and and tech people. Is that it is uh, in some ways it's an easier way to have a conversation. It seems strange that you would f- that you might find that in front of you know eighteen people in a dark bar. It's easier to have a, a real conversation, but that you know that's how it is. I believe that. Um, is there? And this may be going wildly off topic for this podcast, but I'm curious: is there a way to apply that you can't make them a liar, drunk, high, etc.? philosophy when you're talking in real life and someone does say well that guy's a royal pain in the butt is there a way to disagree with them without like being quite as uh oppositional that's a great question um that you you, is that how you do it you say is that's a great question that's a great question brett (laughs) Uh, (laughs) well what you what you do is you it's you can say you know, that's not my experience. Or you can say, um, you know, that's really interesting. I, I'm curious what would make you say that. Um, but, but the, I mean, the, the challenge of real life is that sometimes you do disagree. Sometimes you aren't, you know, completely aligned. And, you know, I, I mean, I often find myself silent. I was like, you know, it's just sort of, and, and, and frustrated by my silence and saying, you know, I really should, st- I really should stick up for that person. I really should, you know, I really should dispute the assertion that's being made right now about about this situation because I don't agree. And it depends on the day. I mean, in in the best of all possible worlds, I'm I'm able to say, you know, I I have to I have to sort of I have to sort of challenge you on that or I have to take issue with it. Um but it is hard to do that and I think, you know, again from a from a speaker to speaker to normals perspective, you know we have we have the the geeks and the normals. And from a speaker to normals perspective, the way that the way that a geek might address a, that kind of conflict is simply to to say, you know, well that's you know that's a stupid opinion, or that you know that you're you're completely wrong about that. As and, is my tendency. Yes. <laughs> see, I've, I I know I've know you I know you a while now, um, but uh, but the. The challenge there is is taking is learning to work in the silences and sort of saying, you know, let's 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 pause for a minute and I, I want to understand where that's coming from, which is it's it's much more of a therapeutic sort of conversational approach than it is an improvisational conversational approach because the improv approach would be to simply agree and move on. There's no there is no objective reality 
in that improv scene that actually requires you to 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 grapple with disagreement. Um, yes, he can. You know, Joe can be an asshole. Absolutely, we all agree. Let's move on. But in 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 a real world, in a workplace scenario, if someone says, "Oh, Joe's an asshole," I just you know I, I just can't deal with him. You 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 kind of have to. There, there's no formula, but you, but the kind of listening you do in an improv scene where you, you really hear the person, you say, okay, they've just said that Joe's an asshole, um, and I, I really like Joe, so how am I going to deal with this? Well, maybe what I'm going to do is say, you know, I, I understand you have, you have strong feelings about this, but I want you to, I want to be clear that, that Joe and I are friends, so it really makes me uncomfortable when you talk about him that way. Um, it, it. It can't, unfortunately, be as simple as it is on stage, which is another painful and hard lesson. Yeah. All right. Well, it sounds like if I can distill that down, the, the best approach is to disagree by asking a question. <laughs> yes, that's a good put, way to disagree. Put, put the ball back in their court and not just come out with a conversation stopper like, nope, you're wrong. <laughs> or, you know, how about, how about the Knicks? <laughs> uh, yeah, asking asking. I mean, the hardest thing for a lot of people who don't who don't feel they have strong social skills, the hardest thing for them to do is ask. So, why why would you say something like that? Or what what's you know what's what's going on there? Why why do you feel that way? Mo- because they're what what we are dealing with. I, I I include myself in this in this population. What we are dealing with is a uh, incomplete model of human behavior. Our internal little stick figure models of the other people running around are not necessarily as good as they could be. And so we have a hard time predicting why people – we have a hard time internalizing and mirroring why people say the things they say. And that's why they come out as – they sound – they may come out as weird and confusing. And our responses may be weird and confusing because we're not – we're not – modeling their behavior as a as a reflection of our own behavior and if we can if if it's possible to think and say okay why would i say something about somebody like that you know why would if i thought so what is, what's the situation in which i would say so and so is an asshole hmm so so probably chances are they're feeling right now about joe the way i i would feel about this other situation okay so given that knowledge let's see let me say so or you know did he did he you know screw up a project or is it you know did you guys have a fight you you can you can start to mine your consciously mine your own experience and say why why would why would you feel that way why would you say that um and again this is this is much more from the you know from the the neuropsychology side of things but but the but the things that you have to do as an improviser because the the mental model you're creating of the other person on stage is necessarily incomplete. It's 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 by definition it's incomplete because they're not a real person at that point. They're 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 making it up as they go along. Sure, sure. <laughs> so so your your mental model of that individual is going to be a really really low res model. And so you have to sort of you have to sort of force these coping strategies on stage, and and they feel very natural. And they when you when you get used to it, they feel very normal and very natural, and you've it it doesn't seem awkward to have this person who you truly truly don't know what they're going to say next because they you know as far as as far as you know this this reality that you're creating is concerned they didn't exist five minutes ago, um, 
But then you take that to the real world and you're like, okay, I get it. My, my mental models of these, these actual real people are not complete either. Uh, and they may say and do things that are surprising and unexpected. Um, so how am I going to deal with that? <laughs> right. Um, all right. I have a follow-up question, but we're going to take another quick break from, uh, for our sponsors. And we'll be back in one moment. Our next sponsor is SourceBits. SourceBits provides software design and development services for iPhone, iPad, mobile, Mac, and web. If you're in the market to build an app, whether it's for one device or you need to make it available on multiple platforms, SourceBits can apply beautiful design to top-notch development and provide a product that's ready to launch on the first try. Thanks to SourceBits for sponsoring the show. Okay, so... So you talk about uh, the, the stick figures that we see other people as, as, as geeks. We might not have a full resolution picture of, uh, of the people we're talking to. The definition that I've heard some give for sanity is how well you see, how well you perceive yourself from other people's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, does, if a, if a geek, and I'm, I'm generalizing obviously, but if a geek, uh, has trouble getting the full resolution picture of the people they're interacting with. Does that mean they have a heightened sense of self-awareness or are they just as fuzzy with the way other people are seeing them? I think, I think it depends. I mean, I think that gets down to individual variation. Um, I think, you know, so anyone could be insane. Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Anyone could be crazy. Well, I mean, I, I think, I think that the interesting, and actually there's a really good book out now um, called The Journal of Best Practices, which is about a guy um, – it's about a couple. Uh, and the guy, uh, you know, they a- – after they get married, the relationship just starts to deteriorate and they, they can't figure out why. And at some point, uh, the wife figures out that the husband has Asperger's syndrome and that's why he behaves so strangely. <laughs> like he doesn't, he doesn't get it. He really doesn't understand what he's that, – what, that his behavior is – is weird. It's just the way he is. Um, but I mean, if the question is, I think, I think there are people who have both well-balanced internal and external, a well-balanced model of self and mirror of others. And, you know, we call that empathy. We call that, you know, you know, we, we, we you know, whatever we call it, that the, there are people that have, that have that at a high level. There are people that have, uh, a pretty good internal self model and less good models of, of other people. And those are people who are, you know, maybe geeky, maybe, you know, maybe not as socially adept. Um, that can slide over into a, a pathology at some point where you, you start getting onto, into Asperger's syndrome and the autism spectrum where they, they're, you don't even know what the internal model is doing, but you know, the external model is, is broken. Um, you can have people that have, uh, neither good, internal nor external models who probably be, you know, psychopaths on some level. And then you have people that have a great mirroring model for, for other people, but not such a good model of, of their own self image. And those, that that's really sort of represents itself as insecurity and, 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 and anxiety because it's, you know, or paranoia. I mean, why, you know, well, they clearly everyone else is having a good time. Why am, you know, why am I not having a good time? Um, and we're this arm, armchair neuropsychology is al- almost certainly going to get me in a lot of trouble with somebody. Uh, but, um, but I, I mean, what was the question again? <laughs> My internal model has failed me. Is everybody well, no, crazy? You, 
What <laughs> that's that that is the uh, tangential question, but uh, really, just I'm just wondering if if there's a way to compensate, or if there is a compensation automatically for having uh, an unresolved image of people around you. D- if that means that by default you have a better self awareness, or if you're just as fuzzy as everyone else. But I think I think you're right that it does come down to very individual variations and yeah. and you know who has what high high functioning autism right. disorders and who doesn't and who uses as a, as an escape and i mean when um, you, when, when you think about it the fact that the fact that our our brains work as well as they do for for social interactions is kind of remarkable um because we do have to we do have this these whole all these neural subsystems we have mirror neurons we have the, we have a whole whole chunks of our brains that are dedicated to modeling in real time the internal motivations, wants, needs, and preferences of other people who, for whom we cannot see into their heads. We, we, have this, we have all this scaffolding to allow us to understand people. And the fact that it works at all is kind of remarkable. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it, it's, it's, it's not that old at least in terms of social interaction, it's not that old a part of, of the mammalian brain. So the fact that we are able to empathize, the fact that we're able to, uh, you know, to hear people say, you know, I had a bad day and, and, and get where they're coming from and understand, that's, that's amazing. Um, and I think maybe just in, in, in geekdom, some of that gets subsumed into, um, into our own obsessions or our own interests where, you know, we might hear our spouse or a friend say, you know, I had a really bad day and it doesn't trigger that, that mirroring. It doesn't trigger that because we're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just, let me just get this, this one framework nailed down. You know, let me get, let me get this code taken care of. I'll be right with you. Um, and I, by the way, I'm not, I do not mean to say that geeks are bad spouses or insensitive. This is, we are not generalizing in that way. I'm saying that this the for some people that stereotype is is playing into um real challenges about attention about empathy and about how you interact with other people and you can send any angry letters to <laughs> I'll, we thought I'll put, this was going to be about technology <laughs> i'll put a link in the show notes for uh for psych majors to send their complaints to but suck <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, let's, uh, let's get back to tech. Um, I usually, uh, I should say in the one other time I've ever done this podcast, um, (laughs) I, I do a section at the end where I let, uh, my guests and myself highlight, uh, some of their favorite apps, two or three, uh, links, websites, apps, iOS, Mac, whatever you want to do. Um, I forgot to warn you about this. Mm. So... I forgot to prepare myself. <laughs> so I'll go first is what you're saying because I'm the guest. <laughs> well, no, we can do it either way. Do you have anything off the top of your head that's really uh, piquing your interest this week? You know, I, the, the one that, that really struck me as um, astonishing is one that um, the Next Web covered and then we covered, which is, well, there's two actually. There's one that the Next Web covered that we picked up um, and then another one that uh, Mashable hit today, which is just astonishing. Uh, the first one is Chirp. Um, if you're familiar with Bump, the iPhone app, iOS app, Bump, basically what it is, it, Bump is fascinating to me because it uses it was it was early on one of the first apps to use sort of all the 
all the technology flags of the iPhone, all the, all the sort of subsystems, and use them all to do something really interesting and simple. The way Bump works is you put, you put in your contact information, your profile, uh, and you save it to the, to the app, and it actually goes up to their server. And you run into someone, you meet somebody, and they say, oh, let me give you, let me give you my, my phone number. You know, it could be whatever social situation that might come up. And, uh, but it's big at conferences, let's just say that. And, and so, okay, you say, let's bump. So you both, are running, you both are running the app. You both have already registered, uploaded your contact information. You take these two iPhones, which, it should be noted, have a persistent connection to the network, have location information so they know roughly where they are on the planet and they also have an accelerometer and you take these two devices and you bang your fist together bump you do a fist bump with the app running what happens is the app running says oh there's an accelerometer hit looks like i just bumped let me check with the server go to the server say hey i just bumped and i'm standing in the foyer of the ritz carlton hotel in boston and the server says, you know what? There's another guy who just bumped, and his phone is also in the, in the, in the, uh, in the foyer of the Ritz-Carlton Hotel in Boston, and your timestamps are within a fraction of a second of each other. Pretty sure that's the guy. So then it sends down a little confirmation to both these phones and says, hey, is this the picture of the person you just bumped with? And you say yes, and then you get their contact information from the server. So it's using all of those sort of different bits of awareness that the device has. Um, and it's awesome. I mean, it, like, it was a, it's a great idea. It was a, a great idea two years ago, three years ago when it came out. I was like, this is fantastic. So now there's Chirp. Chirp doesn't use the accelerometer. It doesn't use location awareness. It does use the network. But it uses something that Bump actually didn't use, and that's the speaker and the microphone. The way you chirp is you find you have a picture on your phone or you have a link or you have a text or you have a mess, text message or something you want to send. You have a little piece of content. So say it's a picture. So you pick the picture from your photo library you say, and you press the chirp button and that, again, goes up to the cloud, goes up to chirp server. So then it says, okay, it's ready. Whenever you want to chirp it, go ahead. So you go over to someone else who's running the chirp app and you press the chirp button and your phone whistles. You want to hear it? Sure. Okay, because, you know, why, why, do, why have something that has audio if we're not going <laughs> to actually demo it? So if anyone's listening to this, now is the time to get out your phone and pull out the Chirp app. And um, I'm actually going to turn on Wi-Fi on my phone, so we'll fix this in post. Um, but <laughs> you pull out the Chirp app. You can uh, pick any piece of content. And I think it's chirp.io, by the way, is the website for the app. Um, and so here's a picture I have of the hailstorm. There's a piece of hail that landed in New York this week. So I'm going to chirp it. So stand by. Okay. So that little bleep blop bloop is basically a, it's a short URL. It's an audio encoded short URL to my content. Modulated. So if you're, modulated. So if your chirp app is listening for that, you'll get a message saying, hey, do you want to download Mike's picture? And there you go. And you get that content. Fascinating. Not that practical, but fascinating. Um, and, and like one of those really inventive things that you see come along. You're like, oh, that's pretty cool. I like that. Um, there's the 
you know, other things that were just downloaded this week, there's the simple app, the simple debit card, which is a, um, an iPhone based, uh, debit, um, new bank basically there's voxer which i've been playing with a little bit uh which is a a push to talk application um i was using dark sky a lot while i was on vacation this is one that uh, john gruber pointed to about uh three weeks ago and it's a predictive radar predictive weather radar that'll tell you whether it's going to rain exactly where you're standing in the next hour um which you know works actually slightly better than you would think it would. It doesn't work perfectly, but it works pretty well. Um, and then um, there's a few others. There's Twist, which uh, our colleague Mel Martin reviewed uh, this week, which is another location-based app that, um, like it's like Glimpse or um, or Google Latitude or Find My Friends, except the catch is that it will, it, similar to, um, uh, I believe, IETA, it will actually text people and tell them, oh, Mike's 20 minutes away because of traffic. So he'll be there, you know, he'll be there when he gets there, but, but you should expect him in about 20 minutes. Um, so that kind of stuff is, is really interesting. Again, it's the, the, the device that's connected, that's location aware, and that has these different ways of, of, uh, monitoring its environment is making these apps possible, uh, in ways that they weren't before. Our last sponsor today is Hover.com, providing simplified domain management. You can register domains without being prompted to buy a bunch of services you'll never need. Hover offers full support and will even handle transfers for you. They'll make it easy for you. Just enter the domain you're interested in into their search box, and Hover will tell you if it's available. If it's not, it'll come up with some suggestions. You can also type in a few keywords, and Hover will figure out some available domain names using those terms for you. Seamless transfers from other providers, elegant DNS management, email hosting, and more. I'm not Dan, but you can tell them Dan sent you by visiting hover.com slash Dan sent me using coupon code Dan sent me, and you'll get 10% off of everything you buy from hover.com. You want to know what, you want to know why I never know anything about location aware apps? Because you have location awareness turned. Oh, you, there's nothing around you, is there? Because I don't go anywhere. <laughs> I live in a town of 25,000. We have nothing for restaurants. If I leave the house, I go to the same two places every time. It's, <laughs> but you're probably the mayor of those two places. Right. Well, except when I travel, and I'll go through months where I'm like in five different cities in two months, but never at the same place twice. So it's, I don't know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that would be useful to me that was location aware isn't and i'm not a big fan of like check-ins and everything this is this is uh totally an aside i i <laughs> all the apps you mentioned sound great i just haven't tried any of them yet all right well, they look pretty cool your apps your turn My aside turn. from aside from i hear there's this really cool markdown preview app called marked oh you uh, should see the 1.5 beta i've been trying out <laughs> i i hear it's awesome um, and I encourage anyone who works with Markdown uh, as a as a writer to to consider picking up in the Mac App Store where it is available for how much? Well, as of today, two ninety nine could be two ninety nine. Could be more it's, next week. I don't know. It's a bargain. Um, yeah, that there you go. Or is it three ninety nine? It's three ninety nine. I don't know. I just make up prices every morning just to um, see what happens. Yeah. Okay. So my apps. Uh, most of the time, I my apps that I like are are the result of long searches through and trials of lots of different apps. And uh, recently, I hacked iTerm two 
so that it would run as um, without a dock icon and without a menu bar icon and would be able to pop up on my second display with a full screen app in Lion. Does that make sense? I think so. Because normally when you're full screen in Lion, you, have, you lose one of your displays if you have two, two or more displays. One of them is just a fabric background. Right. right. You can't um, use that second display, right? So You're right. So I hacked it so that I could have iTerm 2 on my left display no matter what was full screen on the right. Hmm. But in the process, I lost the menu bar. And I don't... There are a lot of options there that I use regularly. So I went searching for a way to hack a menu bar back into it. And I went through a bunch of different stuff that was available on the App Store and didn't find anything that fit my needs until I came upon Menu Everywhere, which is a really handy app, and I'll link it in the show notes. But basically, uh, it does exactly what I'm talking about. It lets you put a menu bar anywhere in your app. uh, So the, the menu bar across the top of the screen can now be available, say, in the toolbar of the window of the primary window you're working in or from a contextual menu, etc. And 99% of the time, I have no use for this. But mm-hmm. in these interesting cases I get myself into, it uh, was definitely the best set of all that I tried. So if you're looking for anything in that area, it's, uh, it's a winner. And then uh, thanks to Retina, Retina Displays, I have been... Uh, uh, working on graphics for various websites and applications. And uh, Layer Cake, if you haven't seen this yet... I have not. Um, it's from the, the creators of CSS Edit, uh, uh, MacRabbit. Okay. And um, this app will let you take a PSD file, and it'll watch the PSD, and every time you save it, using a certain syntax in your layer names... Uh, will create sliced files for you, and what? it can yeah, and it can handle the at two x retina uh, like double sized display graphics, and can generate those automatically. As a side note, Acorn uh, Gus Mueller's uh, graphics editor also added smart layer capability recently that can also do these uh, smart slice exports, and it's pretty cool. Um, there was one other uh, called CSS Hat that does something kind of in reverse. If you work in Photoshop and you create web graphics, CSS Hat uh, at CSSHat.com, uh, it's $20, but what it does is take your layer styles in Photoshop and convert them directly to CSS3. So so while you're adding your shadows and your inset shadows and and all your various effects uh in the, in your uh tool or your tool palette on the right or wherever you keep it um you can see the exact CSS code that would be necessary to generate those styles without an image. Uh very wow. handy, very handy tool. That, so um, that, that that's pretty cool. It is pretty cool. Um all of these tools are really they're blowing me away. Uh they do that thing that that I find most intriguing in applications where they solve a problem I didn't know I had but they didn't create a problem they just created a solution that's so elegant I can pretend I never had the problem mm-hmm. that was a really roundabout way of saying they do something really well that I didn't know I needed 
that you didn't you didn't you didn't realize you were you didn't know there was friction in the system until until Un- somebody until there out, wasn't right until it, someone it provided you a bottle of lube. Yes. Um, <laughs> speaking of bottles of lube, uh, the uh, the Evernote uh, Dev Cup is going on now. I think I th- it may still be going on by the time you hear this. I believe it's going on for a few more for a bit more a bit longer. Um, and really interesting, actually, it's one of those, I don't, I don't usually like to follow, uh, large scale developer vote for this project competitions. Cause, cause I get depressed. <laughs> like, like why would spend someone spend time doing this? Um, but for a few of them, there, the, uh, there was a, an app that came out of a, a, um, health and Hu- department of health and human services, uh, program to prevent, um, to prevent domestic violence that uh, we, we featured a while back that looked really interesting. The New York City Transit Authority has done, um, you know, big data contests with their their schedule data and maps, for, and a lot of app developers have jumped on that and made some great stuff. And and with Evernote, it's it's fun because I because I love that product so much. And then I'm seeing what there's a guy who built uh, something called Busy Life, BusyLife.co, which is a bridge between Evernote notebooks and Trello, uh, which is uh, Trello is um, the um, Joel Spolsky's group's uh, project tracker, and and just the the idea that you could have you know your notebooks become to dos and your to dos become notes and it's all it's all some beautiful mashup. I like that. It makes me happy. So um, yeah, you can check it out over at Evernote Dev Cup uh, D V C U P. I'm dropping that in the show notes. There um, you go. Cool. That's that's great. Um, well, I'm going to wrap it up there and thanks so much for being with us, Mike. Uh, Mike can be found on Twitter as Mike T Rose and he has a tum blog at, is that how you say that? I've never even heard anyone say that out loud. <laughs> tum- his, tum- his, his Tumblr is his Tumblr is uh geek Yes. And, and that's going to, that's going to hopefully be relaunching. I, I have to, I'm saying this on the record so that I can actually call myself on it when I don't do it, but uh, going to be relaunching that in the next month or so as something more interesting. And then you can find him blogging at tuaw.com. Is there anywhere mm-hmm. else uh, people should look for you? Um, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a frequent commenter. You can uh, see me ranting on Facebook from time. No, I, the, those, are my, those are my primary outlets. Um, I think I might have a type pad blog that I haven't paid attention to in a long time uh, I'm sort of on Google Plus but Twitter, geekparent.com and, uh, and tuaw.com is the, are the best places to find Sounds great and I'm uh, TT Scoff on Twitter and you can find me at brettterpstra.com and very occasionally on tuaw.com <laughs> as well <laughs> All right. soon, to, soon to be more often Absolutely Cool, well thanks a lot Mike My pleasure And we'll see you all later.